Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Kitchen Garden Magazine podcast, your fortnightly fix of gardening features, advice and chat. Subscribe and follow us now to never miss an episode. You're listening to Kitchen Garden Magazine, the home of down-to-earth advice for those growing their own fruit and veg. This is the July 2021 audio edition. Top Jobs for July Tasks for your vegetable patch by Joyce Russell Lift Autumn Planted Garlic Autumn planted garlic will be ready to lift this month. Spring plantings can be left in the ground a while longer. Spread plants out so leaves dry in the sun or use an airy shed if the weather is bad. Bulbs store for months in a cool, dry place. Water, water, water. Grow bags, pots and containers can dry out fast in hot weather. Water daily if needed and certainly before plants suffer. Raised beds need more water than level ground and sloping beds can drain fast. Mow and mulch. Cut lawns before grass starts to seed and use the cuttings to mulch between rows of peas and beans or around thirsty pumpkin plants. Top up with a 3 to 5 centimetre or 1 to 2 inch layer every time you mow and you'll help keep moisture in the ground. Look close and often for pests and diseases. Pay attention to any plant that doesn't look healthy and try to understand the problem before it spreads. Turn leaves over to look for pests and study stems for signs of rot. A magnifying lens can help identify small pests. Cut hedges and branches that cast shade. Growth is at its most prolific in July, so look around and see what needs to be cut back or removed. Most plants grow best if they don't have to compete for light and nutrients. On the veg patch. Three steps to better winter brassicas, step by step. Step 1. Spring cabbage and cauliflower can be sown this month. Buy sprouting broccoli, kale and Brussels sprouts as young plants. Don't let roots become crowded. Pop plants on if the final bed isn't ready for planting out. Plants can go in a bed after early peas and beans are cleared. Step 2. Most brassicas like firm, compost-enriched ground. Add a scatter of wood ash or lime to raise pH on acid soil. 
Use collars round the base of stems to repel root fly. Drape crop cover over the top to provide shade and damp down on hot days. New plantings are less likely to wilt. Step 3. Remove the crop cover when plants are established. Drive a strong support pole next to any tall plant and tie stems in as they grow. Cover with netting or use other bird-scaring tactics to prevent pigeons from pecking at leaves. Deal with caterpillars as soon as you see any damage. Perfect parsnips. Plants should be growing well at this point. There's plenty of leaf and small roots are growing well. Keep the bed covered with fly-proof mesh throughout the life of the plants if carrot fly is a problem in your area. This may not look pretty, but it is the best way to grow grub-free roots. You can still thin rows in early July if plants are too close. The thinnings will be big enough to use as young roots. Firm the soil back around the tops of plants left in the ground. You can earth up a little at the same time. Avoid damaging the tops of roots when weeding and keep soil damp so roots don't split. Cherry time. Cherry trees are dripping with fruit. Make sure you net them well to prevent birds from eating the lot before you do. It is easy enough to net a wall-trained tree, but freestanding trees are more difficult. Use glitter strips, old CDs and anything that dangles and flashes to keep birds away. Harvest whole bunches when the fruit is a perfect deep red. Eat fresh or use to make pies and fruit preserves. Stoning the fruit can be a messy business. Wear an apron and work over the kitchen sink. Use a stoning tool or a sharp knife to cut around each cherry and pop the stones out. Use your fruits. Currants, gooseberries, cherries and raspberries can come in by the basketful this month. The size of the crop may make you wonder why you grow so much. It can be hard to think about making jams and jellies when it's hot outdoors and you don't want to stand over a bubbling pan. Don't lose heart. The secret is to freeze the fruit and bring it out to make jams etc when time and conditions allow. Spread berries on trays and open freeze so they don't stick together and transfer to bags or tubs once the fruit is frozen. You can then tip out as many as you need when you need them. Cherries can be frozen whole and the stones will pop out more easily when the cherries are thawed. Look for recipes now if time permits and bag up in appropriate quantities to make what you want at a later date. Homegrown fruit brings a sweet reminder of summer in the colder months. Tasty beetroot Keep soil watered in dry weather to avoid plants bolting. Pull out any that do. You can use them if you do this early, but they may have a hard core. Use beetroot when they're no bigger than a tennis ball. They are juicy and delicious and should cook in half an hour. Roast with balsamic vinegar to bring out the sweet taste. Bottle and pickle for later use rather than leaving them to grow large and stringy. Empty beds. It is a good idea to plant or sow something new as soon as a bed clears. This makes use of the nutrients still in the ground after potatoes are lifted or rows of peas are hoed off. You could get an autumn crop from mange too if you sow early in July or plenty of salad to enjoy. 
If you don't want to replant, then do cover the bed with mulch. This keeps the soil in good order until the bed is needed again. Improve pollination. Runner beans may produce lots of lovely scarlet blooms, but these can fall without setting pods if the weather is hot and dry. Lightly misting the plants with water will help to dampen the pollen just enough for good pod set. Don't let the soil dry out. Beans like plenty of water and plants under stress are less likely to produce lots of pods. Climbing French beans may need the same treatment. First tomato flowers arrive a little later on outdoor plants than on greenhouse ones. Mist these with water if you want the best early fruit set. Later flowers don't need this attention. Grow lots of flowering plants to encourage pollinating insects to visit your garden. If there aren't many insects, try using an artist's paintbrush to move pollen between plants. This is only really practical for large flowers. Break off a male flower from a squash plant and use it to pollinate female ones. Do this when flowers are dry. Some plants need wind to shake them so pollen can fall from the male part to the female one. If there isn't any wind, then you should give a light shake to sweet corn and pepper plants. Brush a hand gently along pea and bean rows to help self-pollination. Pests and Problems White Rot If onion or garlic tops yellow and wilt, then lift a plant and check for white mouldy growth around the roots. If caught early, you can lift the crop before the problem spreads. Wash mildly affected bulbs and use them first. Wider planting can help control the disease. Potato blight. Warm and humid weather helps the spread of blight. Check potato leaves regularly for large greyish blotches that spread into one another. If whole tops are affected, then cut stems at ground level and remove them before spores spread down to the potatoes. Leave three weeks before digging. Raspberry beetle. Beetle grubs can damage the fruit. Eggs are laid in the flowers and hatch as fruit swells. Don't use sprays that might affect bees. Do dig to loosen soil in the winter. This allows birds to eat the beetles. Buy traps to catch beetles before they lay eggs. Deficiencies. If leaves look odd on any plant and you can't see evidence of a pest or disease, then consider your soil and check online for pictures of mineral deficiencies. Yellow between leaf veins may be due to low levels of magnesium. Add dilute Epsom salts to correct. So now, winter cauliflower, spring cabbage, Swiss chard, spinach, spinach beet, salad leaves, lettuce, parsley, rows of kale to use as small leaves. Plant now. Cabbage, kale, cauliflower, broccoli, lettuce, any small plants still left in pots. Harvest. Broad beans, French beans, peas, carrots, beetroot, potatoes, onions, garlic, spinach, lettuce, salad leaves, lots of herbs, strawberries, raspberries, cherries, black currants, red currants, early blueberries and tomatoes. In the Greenhouse with Martin Fish. This month's top job. Keep growing salads. 
Salads can be enjoyed all through the year, and a great benefit of growing undercover is you can grow your own very easily for most of the year. The mistake some people make is to run out of lettuce before sowing more seeds, which leads to a hungry gap. The secret to having a continuous supply is to plan ahead and sow and replant little and often. The amount you grow will obviously depend on how much you eat, but as a guide, if you sow a selection of your favourite lettuce or salad leaves every two or three weeks from February until October, you'll always have a supply of crisp, tasty salad leaves and lettuce to pick from. Propagate strawberries Once strawberry plants have produced their crop of delicious fruits, the plants grow long runners which is their way of naturally spreading over a wider area. If you don't intend to grow more plants from the runners, they can be cut off back into the centre of the plant. But if you want more plants, leave a few on to propagate from. To help keep your strawberry stock healthy, always select runners from the strongest plants that look healthy and fruit well, as weak-looking plants will produce weak new plants. Simply peg a few runners into small pots of compost and in a few weeks, when they've rooted, cut the stalk and grow on the young plants for next year. Water and feed greenhouse vines Although vines are totally hardy and can be grown outside, when grown under cover, you usually get a bigger crop because of the extra warmth and protection, especially when growing dessert varieties. By now, the grapes should be well-formed and swelling, and during this time, it's important they get plenty of water and nutrients. Yes, vines will grow in dry places, but to get the best crop of grapes, watering and feeding will improve the quality, which is exactly what commercial growers across the world do. Occasionally, water around the root area to keep the soil moist and feed with a general fertiliser or with liquid seaweed, which is a favourite of many vineyard managers to supply essential nutrients. Sow courgettes for a late crop. Courgettes are in full production now, but by late summer the plants can start to look tired and mildew can be a serious problem, especially when the plants are grown under cover in hot conditions. To overcome this, and to ensure that you have a crop of tender fruits through late summer and into early autumn, it's well worth growing a second batch of plants to replace the older ones when they pass their best. You can sow the seeds up to the end of June and in warm conditions they will grow quickly. Planted out in fresh soil and kept well watered, you'll be picking courgettes through until October, or even later if the weather is bright and mild. Feed citrus in pots Citrus of all types are greedy plants when growing in large pots, and to keep them growing, flowering and fruiting, they need regular watering during the summer months. Never allow them to dry out and always keep the compost moist. Feeding should also be done on a regular basis by mixing in a slow-release fertiliser to the compost or by giving a liquid feed every week. I tend to alternate with a high potash liquid feed and seaweed feed which provides a good balance of essential nutrients to keep the foliage green and healthy and to help the fruits develop. This regime can continue all through summer and up to around the end of September. What to do in July 
Tomato plants are in full growth now and need regular watering and a weekly high potash feed to help the fruit swell and ripen over the coming months. Sow a section of leafy brassicas such as kale to provide you with young leaves over winter. Mist cucumber leaves with water to create humid conditions and to help deter red spider mites that thrive in hot, dry conditions. Trim back vigorous growth on squashes to prevent them from taking over the polytunnel. Keep sowing fast-growing annual herbs such as basil, dill and coriander for a fresh supply through late summer and autumn. July Tips If you grow your tomato plants in large pots and the compost has settled, now is a good time to top up with a few inches of fresh compost. This gives the plants a mid-season boost by encouraging new roots to develop, which helps the plant drink in more water and nutrients while the fruit is developing. A major pest undercover is whitefly, and hanging yellow sticky traps among the crops will allow you to monitor the infestation and it also helps to catch the adults. It can be hot and bright at this time of year, so be prepared to shade delicate or newly planted vegetables with shade netting or a layer of fleece to help them establish and to prevent sunscorch. When nighttime temperatures are warm, it's fine to leave the greenhouse vents open all the time to keep a flow of air around the plants. In fact, a drop in temperature at night helps to keep plants strong and healthy. Regular watering is important to keep plants growing and, if possible, always try and water either early morning before it gets too warm or in the evening as the temperatures start to cool down. KG Problem Solver Got a fruit or veg problem? Ask KG for help. Lemon tree, but no lemons. A couple of years ago, I bought a lemon bush, but it has never given me lemons. It lives in an unheated greenhouse all year in a large pot. I repotted it into a larger pot this year with compost for these plants, but all I get is growth. From Andrew Hatter of Rothwell. Martin says, Hopefully the lemon that you bought was a grafted name variety. You can easily tell if it's grafted by looking at the base of the stem where you should see the graft a few inches above the soil level. Grafted lemons will always fruit better than seed-raised plants, which can be vigorous and slow to bear fruits. A cold greenhouse is fine in a mild winter, but if the weather is very frosty, it'll drop below zero in the greenhouse, which can damage the plant and prevent blossoming and fruit developing. Ideally, a minimum temperature of 5 degrees Celsius or 41 degrees Fahrenheit is needed to keep citrus ticking over. Having said that, your plant sounds healthy and is making strong growth. Potting it into a large pot will encourage strong growth at the expense of blossom, so you will need to be patient and wait for it to calm down a little and produce fruiting wood. Avoid high nitrogen feeds that encourage growth and instead feed weekly with a high potash fertiliser such as tomato feed over summer until the end of September. This will encourage the wood to ripen and flower buds to develop. Long stems can be pruned back by one third to develop a good shape. Leak infestation 
The last few months I have had little black beetles on my leeks. They must lay their eggs inside the leaves and then they go soft and very brown. I cover them with netting, but is there a spray I could also use? From S. Chester of Crewe. Steve says, Leeks commonly suffer from two pests that bore into the leaves. Leek moth, the larvae of which is a caterpillar with a distinct head and legs and leek-leaf miner, the legless maggot of a fly, lacking a distinct head. Both cause similar damage by boring into the leaves and stems, allowing rots to set in. Leek moth is a little more common in the south, although spreading fast, and the caterpillars pupate in fine net-like cocoons on the foliage, which are quite easy to spot. Unfortunately, there are no sprays available to gardeners to control either pest and you can only rely on covering the crop with very fine crop protection mesh such as EnviroMesh from the moment they are planted out until the end of November when the pests become dormant for the winter. It is also important to rotate your crops and not to plant into soil which might be host to overwintering pests. If you do, there is a danger that pupating insects will simply leave the soil and become trapped under the netting around your new crops. Broad beans decimated My broad bean seeds were doing well in the polytunnel until I found several had lost their tops overnight. What could be the cause? From Mike Ford of Port Stewart. Tony says, in the absence of any other incriminating evidence, I suspect that your beans have been nipped off by mice or voles. Setting traps, humane or otherwise, or covering the trays with fine wire mesh may help. Raising trays up off the ground on benching can also help make it a little more difficult for critters to find them. Blueberry Bush Indoors I have a pink lemonade blueberry bush which fruited very well last year. It moved indoors for the winter and has ticked over nicely. However, some of the older leaves are becoming mottled and brown, with some curling up into themselves. The bush is still putting on new growth, but the whole plant just looks a bit sad and droopy. From Rosalind Walsh in Lancashire. Emma says, blueberries, including pink lemonade, are fully hardy and left outside to fend for themselves would usually lose all their leaves, replacing them in the spring. Indoors, your plant has kept its leaves, but perhaps due to natural ageing or perhaps due to lower humidity levels inside, some of the leaves on your plant have gone brown. I would simply remove any brown leaves as they occur and continue to ensure that your plant gets enough water preferably rainwater or cooled boiled water, to remove any lime. Your plant will be quite soft having been kept inside, so may need acclimatising to conditions outside gradually and bringing it in if frost threatens. But next winter, you could consider keeping it in a sheltered spot outside or in a cold greenhouse or polytunnel. Towering Toms with such a cold spring, I kept my tomato plants indoors and they grew to 69 centimetres or 27 inches tall. In situations like this, should you cut them back? From Carol Bedwell of Enfield. Steve says, the plants can indeed be pruned to a point just above a leaf joint about halfway down the length of the stem. 
The plant will then send out new shoots and become multi-stemmed. This is more difficult in terms of staking and training, but can eventually give you increased yields, or you can decide to pinch out all but the top shoot and carry on training as a cordon. The top that you take out can be trimmed to leave the tip and a leaf or two, and either potted into a small pot of compost, or simply placed in a jar of water to root as a cutting, and give you new cordon-type plants to replace any that may be too stretched. Another alternative that I have tried is to plant the root ball at an angle and to bury the stems of the plants along the ground. The leaves are carefully removed without damaging the stems before burying, just leaving a few leaves and the growing tip at the top above soil level. The tip can then be grown upright against a cane in the normal way. The plant will root along the length of the stem and this can have the effect of increasing vigour. Winter lettuce in summer My hubby and I decided to sow some lettuce yesterday. I didn't have my glasses on but could read lettuce on the packet, so he popped them into a raised bed and watered them in. He then asked what variety they were. I looked more closely. Winter imperial. Will they grow over the summer or not? From P. Hill of Sleaford. Emma says, yes, your lettuces will grow when sown now. They are hardier than most, so usually recommended for autumn sowing, but will grow at other times. They might be more likely to bolt in hot weather, but all lettuces are prone to that. Better to save the rest of the seeds for the autumn, although to be honest, I struggle to grow decent lettuces over winter in my polytunnel. They usually rot off at the stems before they reach a decent size. Produce fit for a champion. When Wimbledon winner and former world number one tennis player Sir Andy Murray bought Cromlick's Hotel in Dunblane in 2013, one of his priorities was installing a kitchen garden. Garden manager Sarah Janish Corsa explains. As a World Wildlife Fund Global Ambassador, sustainability is an important issue for Andy. When he purchased the business in 2013, he wanted the Hotel Chez Roux restaurant to be able to offer guests food that was grown as locally as possible. Andy wanted the kitchen garden to be a fully functioning plot that would be able to supply interesting, fresh and delicious produce for the hotel's restaurant. He also wanted it to be a feature for guests that they could wander around and unwind when they came to stay at the hotel. Hotel gardener Jimmy Hay and I set up the garden in 2013 and have developed it since then, so that it now performs both functions really well. Despite it being relatively small, we are able to produce enough fruit, vegetables, herbs and edible flowers for the chefs to use most of the year in the kitchens. And we often have hotel guests visiting us while we are working there. The kitchen garden originally started with just 10 raised beds, but after a year we added four more, a shed and polytunnel, and we've recently added another four beds, so now we have 18 in total. We've also got an area dedicated to wildflowers, which encourages bees to the kitchen garden, an espaliered orchard with apple and pear trees, a couple of beehives, and we keep three chickens and a cockerel as well. We try to use space cleverly to maximise the output and try to use as much of each plant as possible, 
For example, with fennel, we are able to use the fronds, pollen from the flowers and the seeds, and with courgettes, we use the vegetable and the flowers. The raised beds allow close planting. Plants that enjoy shade can grow behind taller crops. When planning the planting, light and shade is important to consider. It's all for the guests. The chefs use a lot of edible flowers in their dishes, which look beautiful on the plate, so those go down very well with guests. Things like calendula, pot marigolds, rose and dahlia petals, and chai flowers are great to dress plates with, and are used for their taste too. And they also use borage flowers in the gin and tonics for its slight cucumber taste. We grow lots of herbs for recipes like mint ice cream and sorbet. Lemon balm, lemon thyme, and rosemary are also really useful, and add a lot of flavour to dishes. The chefs like to get creative with our Shiraz mange too, as their vivid purple colour looks and tastes great as a garnish. We're also conscious of making the kitchen garden look pretty, as you come across it as soon as you arrive at the hotel, and it can be seen from a few of the hotel bedrooms. We've even had a bride and groom using the garden for their wedding photos. We grow plants like sweet peas, even though you can't eat them, because they look beautiful. Encourage the pollinators and flower all season if you regularly deadhead them. Coping with climate change. We've experimented a lot over the years, so we know what works well and what doesn't in the Scottish climate. We do have a shorter growing season for certain crops that like the heat, so we choose to grow plants that need a shorter growing period, like cherry tomatoes and smaller cucumbers. We also use the polytunnel if they need a bit more warmth. We tried quite hard with wild strawberries, but they didn't like being squashed in on a raised bed. They taste delicious, but take up too much space for the gain. Cultivating the kitchen and garden partnership. Albert Roux was a big fan of the kitchen garden, and the current head chef Darren Campbell talks to us regularly about what dishes he is planning. We've worked closely with Darren to find things that looked pretty and tasted good. We either pick produce that is ready and send it up to the kitchen, or the kitchen staff come down to collect what they need. It changes week by week. But we know they always need herbs and garnishes, and they can always use berries like blueberries, gooseberries, and black currants, or French beans, runner beans, and broad beans. Organic principles only at Cromlicks. In terms of pest control, we use organic principles. We have beer traps and use nematodes to control the slug and snail population, and put wool pellets around some plants. We also use things like marigolds to repel insects, and if we are growing tomatoes, we will plant basil next to them, which aphids and whitefly will go for first. If they do start attacking the basil, we either spray that plant with soapy water, use a strong hose to knock them off, squash them by hand, or we can simply remove the small basil plant, taking the aphids and whitefly with it, which then stops them attacking the tomatoes. We sometimes get deer, pheasant, and rabbits in the garden too, so we've got a fence now to stop them popping in. Gardening a second career for Andy? Andy doesn't do much gardening, but he does usually visit the kitchen garden when he's at the hotel, as it is next to the Cromlicks tennis court. Cromlicks Hotel, Kinbuck near Dunblane, Perthshire, 
FK15 9JT. Telephone 01786 822125. Email inquiries at cromlix.com. All My Reads gives you unlimited access to more than a hundred specialist books, from history to mystery, rockets to royals, planes to trains, bikes to biographies, and much, much more. Access the digital books across multiple devices, including your desktop, tablet, and phone. All My Reads is just $4.99 per month. Visit allmyreads.com to find out more. Browse the extensive range of titles and try your first month for just 99 pence. Get ready to browse and begin. Lettuce Talk Lettuce is one of the easiest and quickest veg to grow, says Rob Smith. So this month he looks at the range of varieties you can try. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. It really wouldn't be summer without a nice healthy salad or lettuce for barbecue burgers. And with a few pinches of seed, you can produce colourful leaves for months on end. In fact, lettuce plants are pretty hardy and can cope with a light frost. Plus, there are even varieties which will happily grow throughout most winters, even shrugging off the odd snow shower. The humble lettuce isn't just a quick cropper. It can also add bursts of colour and texture to an ornamental kitchen garden, as well as precision straight rows on an allotment. No RHS show garden would be without a grow-your-own patch filled with green, red and speckled lettuce. Lettuce types Loose leaf These are for constant harvesting of a few leaves from each plant. Perfect to pick a meal at a time. Plus they will crop for quite a long time. Varieties such as salad bowl green won't heart up or form a dense plant, just lots of leaves. Crisp heads as the name suggests, these varieties will heart up to form dense, crisp plants. 
Normally known as iceberg types in the supermarket or greengrocers, there are red versions as well as green. Most newer varieties of crisp heads are developed with the commercial grower in mind, therefore they need good moisture and warmth to reach their potential. This could be an issue when growing on the allotment, so go for an older variety which will cope better with garden conditions, such as Webb's Wonderful or Red Iceberg. Butterheads These types produce thinner leaves and more open plants than most other types, yet they can be pretty hardy when young, with All the Year Round and Tom Thumb being two of the most popular varieties. Cos in recent years, these seem to be taking the top spot for the type sold in the shops and grown at home. These plants have the most upright, crisp, sweet leaves which are held above the soil, so are less prone to damage. They produce sweet hearts and some varieties can be grown outside with cloche protection all winter, hearting up in April and May. These include the gorgeous Little Gem and unusually patterned Speckled Trout. Batavia. These types have the crispness of an iceberg with the open habit of a butterhead. Plus, they are more drought-resistant than most other types and have a lovely flavour. Most can also be grown in an unheated greenhouse through the winter and will crop before you want to put your tomatoes back in there in late spring. Relay is a really pretty red variety that's downy mildew resistant. Celtis. Technically a loose leaf type, but normally sown in early summer so that it produces a thick, edible stem that can be peeled and eaten like asparagus. Not for everyone, but worth a try if you have the space. Sowing and planting. Lettuce can be sown directly into the ground where they are to be grown or started in seed trays and modules first. I prefer the latter as I only sow a pinch each time and sometimes you get overexcited when sowing in the ground. You either use loads of the seeds or end up with way too many lettuce and you waste them. Sowing 10 to 12 seeds every few weeks from spring to autumn will normally provide 6 to 8 plants, which is perfect for me as I can dot them around the garden or leave a small row in a raised bed. Any more and you either have to eat lettuce for every meal of the day or you lose interest and forget to sow more as you are sick of lettuce. If you sow them directly in lines, you want to make sure there is a 25 to 30 centimetre or 10 to 12 inch between rows and that you space plants about 20 centimetres or 8 inches apart. You can either transplant the thinnings to other places in the garden or add the young plants to a salad while the remaining lettuce heart up or grow bigger. Intercropping A great way to grow lettuce is between slower growing veg. I usually plant a few between my brassicas when they're first planted out as you'll have harvested your lettuce before the other plants get too large and cause too much shade. That said, lettuce will appreciate some shade in the height of summer. That's why I plant them around the base of my runner beans. It stops them bolting and going bitter. It's also a good idea to give a little protection from birds and squirrels when you first sow or transplant the seedlings as they can easily be tossed aside by critters who are looking for worms or other insects. You could use old CDs to scare the birds or ribbon, but that won't stop squirrels. That's why I use old shopping baskets as cloches. 
you can buy them from recycling centres. Or you could use a bit of chicken wire to form a protective tunnel over the top. Aftercare Lettuce are a pretty thirsty crop, especially when they're starting to heart up. Make sure that you water them regularly, especially if they're in raised beds or containers, as they can dry out with incredible speed. I like to water plants in the morning, making sure to water around them and not over the top, as the leaves can scorch in the sun very easily. If you notice what looks like scorch on the tip of the leaves, it could be tip burn. This is when the tip of the leaves begins to rot and it's a sure sign that there isn't enough water available for the plant's needs. So, either water more, grow a tip burn resistant variety or consider growing the plants more in the shade. Another issue which can affect lettuce plants in warmer summers is root aphid. These little green fly type insects can be found around the base of the plant and on its roots. Telltale signs of an infestation are when the plants begin to wilt and collapse, eventually dying. You need to dispose of the plants and those around it, making sure to grow further crops in a different bed for the rest of the year. Again, dry conditions are what encourage the root aphids, so make sure to water your plants more to prevent major infestations. When harvesting plants which form hearts, don't think you have to cut the plant and take it all. Why not just harvest a few outer leaves from a few plants? By doing this, you can extend the harvest period of the plants and get a few different coloured and textured leaves without having to take the full plant. As long as you leave the central rosette of the plant, you can keep picking for weeks. Varieties Lettuce aren't just for summer. Don't forget, there are winter-hardy varieties which can be planted in the unheated greenhouse after tomatoes and can be cropped from late winter if you pick the outer leaves or leave them to heart up for April time. Winter density is a popular one for this. I've had mine outside all winter and they even shrug off a covering of snow and frost. Brighton is also another good variety for growing in the greenhouse in winter and there is a new little gem type called Henros, which I've been growing this year. It seems to be really hardy. There are masses of varieties to choose from when it comes to buying lettuce seeds, but a few of my favourites include Drunken Woman, Outrageous, the first lettuce grown in space, Winter Density, Marvel of Four Seasons, Bronze Beauty, Speckled Trout and Little Gem. Seeds with stories make tastier fruits. Homegrown produce almost always tastes better than shop-bought fruit and vegetables. With that in mind, just imagine how delicious tomatoes and peppers raised from saved seed can taste. Professional gardener Nicola Hope explains. When a seed has a story, it takes growing to the next level of significance. In January 2020, I was lucky enough to meet with seed guardian extraordinaire Adam Alexander and was thrilled when he gifted me some seed varieties from all over the world. I was given beans and peas, lettuce, courgette and some of the juiciest cucumbers that I've ever encountered. But most exciting of all were the tomatoes, chilies, and sweet peppers. 
Anyone who knows me well will tell you how a significant chunk of my year is devoted to the propagation and cultivation of tomatoes. Not only are they my favourite food bar none, but I pride myself on growing huge amounts of sweet fruit for myself in my small greenhouse at home, as well as at work, where I have the run of a large traditional glasshouse. I had grown heritage varieties before I met Adam, but never any with personal stories attached. Chilies and sweet peppers hold a similar place in my heart and my greenhouse, but for different reasons. While I love a sweet pepper and some of the milder varieties of chilli peppers, I am, like many others, wary of the hotter ones. A hint of heat and a fruity zing is about my limit, but I adore their aesthetic. I believe them to be one of the most attractive of greenhouse plants. As soon as I got back from Adam's small holding, just outside of Chepstow in Wales, I sowed my new tomato seeds from Bolivia and Burma and sweet chilli peppers from Ukraine, Morocco and Syria. For some reason, I felt a connection with these far-flung destinations, none of which I've ever visited myself. All of a sudden, I was part of the story and I realised that being a seed guardian is an important way of keeping important elements of different cultures alive. Adam has even collected seed from Aleppo in Syria, a city now ravaged by war. The origin of that seed in particular is now highly uncertain. Back in the slightly less exotic Cotswold glasshouse of my employer, germination rates were high with strong little plants popping up with enthusiasm but it wasn't long until these plants had an adventure story of their own. With the first pandemic lockdown and the prospect of having to homeschool my children looming, I gathered up as many young plants as possible and brought them home where I could look after them on a daily basis. My home greenhouse is unheated and not reliably frostproof, so I filled up windowsills with my kitchen floor becoming a mini plant nursery. It was in this fashion that I attended these plants for several long weeks until the sheer size of them could no longer be accommodated in my house. Even though it was only the end of April, frost was a risk for another month and they had to assume their positions in my greenhouse. At work, the tomatoes would have been planted into large shallow grow sacks and trained as cordons against handmade hazel frames. The pepper plants would have had roomy individual pots with plenty of space around them for ventilation to minimise the chance of attack from pests and diseases. At home, the tomatoes were in smaller pots and trained up string attached to the horizontal hanging basket rails of my greenhouse. The peppers were crammed on to the staging. Before long, it resembled a mini jungle. I loved it. A couple of lengths of horticultural fleece were kept handy in which to carefully wrap the plants should nighttime temperatures look like plummeting. This worked very well, despite a couple of very sharp frosts towards the end of May. These cold nights did not hinder the tomatoes from setting fruit, and it was the Bolivian orange cherry tomatoes that kicked off a wonderful summer of sweet fruit and zingy peppers. A Ukrainian red bell pepper was particularly delicious. It was so incredibly juicy that it jumped to the top of the favourite list. Adam describes the little old lady from whom he originally bought the fruit in the market in Danesk. 
She was one of generations of the same family to grow this pepper. As I eat my own fruits, I like to imagine that there are people in Darnesk doing exactly the same. Saving seed from peppers is easy. As you prepare the fruit for cooking, you scrape the seeds onto a piece of kitchen paper and leave to dry overnight. Once you're sure that it is dry, you gently shake the seeds into an envelope and store it in an airtight container in a consistently cool place until it's time to think about sowing again. Saving tomato seed is slightly more complicated. First, you must remember not to eat all of the best-looking fruit. This is the part that I find most difficult because they are so easy to eat. Scoop the seedy pulp into a sieve and use your fingertips and running water to push as much of the pulp through the sieve without damaging the seeds. Then put the seeds into a jam jar of cold water and leave for a couple of days to break down the membrane that surrounds each seed. Next, you must rinse the seed through a sieve again and dry as you might dry the seed peppers. They may take a little longer to dry completely because of the soaking in water, so make sure they are thoroughly dry before you seal them in an envelope and the subsequent airtight container. Always label your envelopes because you never remember as much information as you think you will. This stood me in good stead when, in January 2021, in the middle of lockdown number three and wading through the deep sludge of homeschool once again, I found myself miles away from my work propagator, itching to get some tomatoes and pepper started, but with no way to achieve this. After some brief soul-searching, I invested in a propagator for home. It was important to me that I found one with professional-level temperature and lighting control, and I'm glad I did because February was particularly cold and bleak. The result is a second generation of strong, healthy plants, ready to start their own adventures. I feel an attachment to these plants that I have never experienced. I've had favourite varieties before. Some, like tomato tigerella, I will sow year after year because of the regard I hold it in. But to be the guardian of a variety that has a cultural story to tell prior to my involvement is special and makes those fruits taste as sweet as can be. Those stories are not mine to tell. They are Adam Alexander's, and I urge you to visit his site, www.vegingoutwithadam.com, where you'll find information about the seeds that he has collected on his travels, along with some wonderful stories about the people from whom he procured the fruits and seeds. Another way to grow seeds with stories is to join the Heritage Seed Library which is maintained by organic growing charity Garden Organic. It preserves and makes heirloom seed varieties available to growers. This is a wonderful way to grow something different, while also keeping a story alive. I have gone full circle with my seeds, plants and fruits, and I will continue to sow seeds with stories. Back to school with raspberries. With a focus on raspberries this month, David Patch explains exactly what is required to cultivate the tastiest of fruit. How can we grow the best tasting fruit possible? It's a question that is surely at the forefront of every gardener's mind as the summer progresses. We are not commercial growers who have other criteria such as appearance, yield and shelf life to consider. 
Even a small plot is capable of producing more than enough fruit for our needs, and we can pick and eat or freeze within a matter of hours, so no need to worry about storage and transportation. It's flavour that drives us to grow our own, and this month, in a focus on raspberries, we'll be looking at how fruit ripens and what we can do to get the tastiest berries possible. Much of what we'll look at applies to all fruit, so don't be afraid to try some of the principles with any other fruit you grow and see if you can make this year's crops the best yet. Some basic botany. First, we need to go over some basic botany to understand the processes involved when fruit ripens, what influences these processes and then how we can manipulate them for our own benefit. After a year when many of us have been homeschooling, this may cause your heart to drop, but bear with me, we won't get too technical and the solutions are all ones we as gardeners are very familiar with. Plants make sugars through photosynthesis. It's a complicated process, but essentially the leaves use carbon dioxide from the air and sunlight to form carbohydrates, sugars. Early in the season, these take the form of starches, which make the young, small raspberries. These pack together well, like Lego building blocks, which is why underripe fruit is firm to the touch. They also don't taste very sweet, making the fruit unattractive to birds while the seeds are still immature. Once the seeds are fully formed and viable, so would grow if planted, the ripening process can begin in earnest. This is done by the plant producing ethylene, a gas hormone which starts to change the texture, taste and appearance of the fruit. The starch in the berries is broken down into simple sugars, fructose, glucose and sucrose, the sugars we find so appealing. Cell walls disintegrate so the fruit becomes softer. Pigments in the fruit become more noticeable. The main way we can tell many fruits, including raspberries, are ripe is due to the colour change. Sugars in fruit are measured by something called the bricks level. Originally developed to help wine growers pick grapes at the right level of sweetness to get the desired alcohol level in their wine, it's now widely used by commercial fruit growers to measure the levels of sugar, vitamins and minerals in fruit. The higher the bricks value, the sweeter and more nutritious the crop. Sunlight So how can we influence all of this and try and pack as much flavour as possible into our berries? The most obvious answer is the amount of sunlight, to allow the plant to photosynthesise and produce those vital sugars. We can't change the weather, so we have to accept that flavour will vary slightly from year to year, depending on the vagaries of the Great British Summer. However, we can make sure we give the prime, sunniest spots to fruit we want to be as sweet as possible and relegate the less sweet fruit such as gooseberries, morello cherries, damsons, etc. to more shady positions. Try and keep neighbouring plants and trees well pruned so as not to cast too much shade. Even harvesting fruit on a cloudy day has been shown to reduce bricks levels. Water. Another factor that is only partially under our control is water. Raspberries enjoy a cool, moist root run, so need plenty of moisture, especially early in the season. However, 
A lot of water, when the fruit is ripening, is counterproductive. It makes the berries too soft and dilutes the sugars. If you have to irrigate because you're on very free draining soil, only do so up until midsummer. As with many plants, a thick mulch applied in spring when the soil is damp is the best way to ensure water levels remain consistent. Fertilisers Where it becomes much more interesting is how feeding plants affects flavour and there are several ways we can apply fertilisers to boost bricks levels and get the tastiest fruit. Plants need three main macronutrients to grow well. Nitrogen, N, phosphorus, P and potassium, K. You'll see these mentioned on just about every plant feed you can buy. For fruit growing, the most important two are nitrogen and potassium, and the ratio of them available to the plant at any one time. Nitrogen is used mainly for growth, for producing new stems and healthy foliage. Plants need plenty at the start of the growing season so they can maximise photosynthesis. However, as the summer progresses, it's the potassium which becomes most important. Many scientific studies have shown that a high potassium-low-nitrogen ratio as fruit ripens increases sugar content and flavour. Many gardeners use a one-size-fits-all approach to using fertiliser, a handful of general-purpose feeds such as Grow More at the start of the season, and the job is done. Others rely on an annual mulch of manure. While these help and are certainly time-efficient, it's not the best way to get the very best flavour. Instead, we should switch to a two-phase strategy, giving a little nitrogen, pelleted chicken manure is excellent, early in the year, but then switching from May onwards to a high potassium feed. You can buy sulphate of potash, but the easiest way is to use a liquid tomato feed. That way we give the plant the right nutrients at the right time, and should get the highest levels of sugar. Using a seaweed foliar feed over the summer has also been shown to improve bricks levels. They are very low in N, P and K, the macronutrients, but are very high in all the micronutrients and trace elements plants need to thrive. They stimulate root growth and a better root system increases the uptake of water and minerals, so the plant can pack the fruit with sugary carbs. In short, the healthier the plant, the tastier the fruit. Comfrey feed A superb alternative to shop-bought fertilisers is to use comfrey, symphytum leaves to make a tea. Comfrey is an excellent plant to have in the garden or allotment. It will grow just about anywhere and the deep roots draw up goodness in the soil to make the leaves high in nutrients, especially potash. The best variety to grow is a clone called Bocking 14, but any comfrey will do. Essentially, you gather some comfrey leaves and leave them to steep in water for a couple of weeks resulting in a tea-coloured liquid which can be used undiluted as an excellent summer feed for all fruit. Aim for about 1 kilogram or 2.2 pounds of chopped leaves per 15 litres of water. It's a good idea to enclose the leaves in a hessian sack or old pillowcase. These can be used as a great addition to the compost heap.
Be warned, the smell is pretty appalling as the comfrey starts to decompose. Sight at the far end of the garden. Raspberries for flavour. Glen clover. One of the earliest varieties to ripen, the heavy crops and the fact that it has one of the longest picking seasons of any variety make it a great choice, if you only have room for a few canes. The flavour is excellent, offering a great balance of sweetness and acidity. Glen Lion. Compact growth and completely spine-free canes make this ideal for smaller spaces. Good flavour, this responds very well to a high potash feeding programme for the best quality fruit. Mid-season variety. Glen Prosen. Superb mid-late season variety. Strong canes which need very little support. Huge crops of bright red berries and very good disease resistance. The flavour is very good, both fresh and frozen. Malling Jewel, released in 1949 as a product of the East Malling Research Station breeding programme. This is still one of the best raspberries for flavour. Naturally sweet and firm fruit on compact canes. A good feeding programme makes these taste out of this world. Himbo Top. For me, this is one of the best autumn fruiting varieties to plant. The fruit is excellent. Extremely large fruit in comparison with other primocane varieties. It is naturally very vigorous, so there is no real need for any early season feeding, just plenty of tomato feed through the summer. Pest and disease control without chemicals. This month, Dr Anton Rosenfeld, Knowledge Officer of Garden Organic, explains how you can manage pests and diseases in your gardens naturally. Perhaps one of the key barriers to venturing down the organic route is the fear that without chemicals, there will be nothing to protect your plants from attack from pests and diseases. This really requires a change in mindset. Organic pest and disease management isn't about simply replacing synthetic chemicals with organic equivalents, but instead adopting a holistic and proactive approach. Generally, there are fewer silver bullets in organic growing. Instead, it's about creating an environment that greatly reduces the opportunities for pests and diseases to take hold. With our pollinators in decline and a biodiversity crisis on our doorstep, now more than ever we should ditch the toxic chemicals. Here are a few tried and tested alternative approaches. A biodiverse environment. Biodiversity really is your ally in the garden. Last year I started seeing aphids on my peppers in July. Rapidly, a ladybird larva started devouring the aphids, soon joined by a hoverfly larva, then finally a parasitic wasp knocked the rest of them out. This was the result of having many flowering plants around the garden, such as buckwheat, phacelia, fennel and calendula to provide pollen and nectar to support these beneficial insects. Resistant varieties Choice of plant variety is important in the fight against pests and diseases. Often those we are accustomed to see in our supermarkets are quite disease susceptible and rely on high inputs of sprays, so they may not be the best choice for growing at home. For example, Cox's orange pippin apples are extremely susceptible to apple scab. 
So, if you like the flavour of a cox without the diseases, Sunset might be a better one to try. I also go for potato varieties with better resistance to tuber blight, such as Orla, which has good flavour too. Transplants. As a gardener, you have the luxury of being able to grow plants to a slightly larger size in small pots before planting them out, unlike the commercial grower. This means that they are less vulnerable to slug attack than if you had sown them directly in the soil or planted them out as small seedlings. Remember to expose them to the outdoors to harden them off properly first. Otherwise, you have soft, fleshy plants that are a particularly tasty snack for all manner of pests. Timing Growing at home doesn't have the pressures of producing a consistent supply to satisfy a market, so you can grow at times that suit you. I have taken to growing things when they are less likely to be attacked by pests and diseases. For instance, early varieties of potatoes can be harvested before the blight pressure intensifies, usually from mid-July onwards. I also delay growing oriental brassicas and rocket until later in the year, or even over winter, when there are fewer flea beetles to chomp little holes in the leaves. Physical barriers. In some cases, this can be the only thing that works against pests. Fine mesh netting secured over your plot is necessary to keep out carrot fly and stop cabbage white butterflies laying their eggs on your brassicas. A wider mesh netting will also protect from pigeons destroying your crop overnight or cats using the beds as a toilet. Hand picking. Hand picking is particularly effective at keeping the mollusk population under control. I find 10 o'clock in the evening a good time to go and pick slugs. Make sure you search thoroughly for any lurking in corners and under pots. I can't bring myself to kill them, so relocate them about half a mile down the street. Biological controls. Introduce predatory organisms such as mites, microscopic worms or tiny parasitic wasps to control your pests. There are many products available and the fact that many of them have been used in commercial production for years is a testament to their effectiveness. There are those that work against a whole range of pests including slugs, cyarid flies, vine weevils, white flies and red spider mites. They can, however, work out quite pricey to use, so it is important to follow the instructions closely as to how and when to apply them, as they won't be very effective under sub-optimal conditions. Organic sprays. Natural or organic sprays are considered a last port of call when things get out of hand. Perhaps the most commonly used are soft soap sprays. They remove the waxy layer that protects soft-bodied insects such as aphids. Although their effects on hard-bodied beneficial insects such as ladybirds is small, they do have some impact, so should be used with care. Pyrethrum, another natural insecticide, is derived from chrysanthemum flowers and breaks down quickly in the environment. However, it is a broad-spectrum insecticide that is harmful to pollinators, so I wouldn't want to use it on a regular basis.
Last word. Tweet and Vegman. A keen fisherman, a lifelong veg grower, and now a social media sensation. Gerald Stratford talks to Grapevine podcast host Daniel Heiss. How have you been getting on during lockdown? My partner Elizabeth and I have been virtually self-isolating since last March. We did see our family a few times after the first lockdown, but on the whole, we've been happy in our little bungalow and garden. We've also been able to go to the allotment as it's only in the village. We get our groceries delivered once a week and there's always something to keep us busy. Tell us a bit about your horticultural journey. Did you start at a young age? My father got me into gardening. I'm not sure exactly how old I was, but I was quite young. He gave me a little plot of land and a packet of radish seed and told me that was my garden to look after. Years later, when I got married and had my own house and garden, it was just natural to keep it tidy and grow some vegetables to feed my family. Since moving here, as well as growing vegetables to eat, I've developed an interest in seeing how big I can grow certain veggies. Who have you admired most over the years for their contribution to the world of gardening? I loved Geoffrey Hamilton. He was the master of recycling. You never knew what he was going to come up with next. So enthusiastic in everything he did. Such a shame he died so young. Also, Medwin Williams. He's such a professional and so helpful as well. Last year, your world changed when your growing exploits exploded across Twitter. How are you coping with it all? Yes, it was quite a shock to begin with. I really couldn't understand what was going on, but I'm loving talking with people all over the world and I try to answer every question that's put to me. So far, I'm managing to cope with it and do my gardening. At this time of year, there's a lot of seeds sowing and looking after small plants in the greenhouse and Liz gives me a hand with this. So far, so good. If you were a vegetable, which one do you think would best represent you? A big onion, big man, lots of layers to me. You were a barge operator on the River Thames for many years. I imagine you saw a few sights. I saw so many things. Most lock keepers on the Thames had a small vegetable garden and talking about gardening cropped up quite often. The best allotments I ever saw were the ones in Oxford. They came right down to the river opposite Abbey Road. Some winters they would flood, but in the spring you would see the same people getting on with it and I would give them a quick wave as I went past. I've seen pictures of your plot and you grow a wide range of veg. Would you say you are pretty self-sufficient? Yes, I grow enough veg to keep us going all year. We never buy veg from a shop. If we have a glut of anything, it's frozen. We have a large freezer. We also make pickles, chutneys, jams and now make our own sun-dried tomatoes with a handy little machine called a dehydrator. What is the best garden book you've ever read or book that you would turn to if there is something you're not sure about? My all-time favourite book is one called Growing Onions and Shallots by Daniel A. Calderbank. 
I had it years ago and lost it, but a couple of years ago, Liz managed to get hold of a copy for me. For anything else, I tend to use the internet. We have seen a boom in the interest in gardening over the year. How can we best keep the interest going? Embrace the newcomers and encourage them. Remember everyone was a novice once. Don't ever disparage what the novice gardener has done and always be happy to take time to talk and answer questions. Do you think horticulture should be included in the curriculum for younger children? Yes, and not just for young children. When I went to school, girls took domestic science and the boys took gardening. This was stopped just before I left school, in preference for a car park and a swimming pool. What a shame! I think every child in the land should get the basics of gardening, and that includes both sexes. How did the growing big veg come about? First and foremost, I like growing veg, and an offshoot of this is growing big veg. I never call it giant veg. There are people who devote their time to growing giant veg, and I don't think I'll ever compete with them. But I like to see how big I can grow things. It's the competitive side of me coming out. Mainly, I compete against myself. If this year I can beat last year's personal best, even by only one gram, I count that as a win. And if I manage to win a prize, that's a bonus. What is your plant or veg heaven and plant or veg hell? Heaven has got to be tomatoes. I love picking the ripe fruit and taking them indoors to Liz. I know she loves them as much as I do. Hell is a swede. I've grown them out in a field, no problem, but the minute I try to grow them in my garden, they fail. But I keep trying. What is your favourite veg to grow? I love potatoes. This year I'm growing 15 varieties. I grow a few new ones each year. For anyone new to gardening, a potato planted in a standard 10-litre bucket will give you enough potatoes for one or two meals anywhere in the world. Put a layer of compost in the bottom of the bucket, fill the bucket with compost and place somewhere in the garden or on a balcony. As it grows, keep it watered and fed and when the plant has flowered, harvest the potatoes. My favourite way to eat them is as a baked potato cooked traditionally in the oven. Add butter when cooked, sprinkle with cheese and eat with an assortment of homemade chutneys and pickles. Do you grow much fruit? I grow raspberries, strawberries, red and black currants, gooseberries and I have two each of pears, apples and plum trees. These are very young so I haven't had much of them yet. Who would your gardening dream team consist of? First would be my father, Peter, the most patient man that ever lived. The second one would be Geoffrey Hamilton, the most imaginative gardener I've ever known. And lastly, Medwin Williams, one of the greatest gardeners alive today. What have been your great successes and failures in the veg garden this year? My greatest success was my stump-rooted carrots. Virtually everyone was perfect. Even the one that grew five fingers became famous. My failure was my giant marrow, which stopped growing at £45. Very disappointing. Any tips that you'd like to share with readers? I think a heated mat or bed in the greenhouse is the best thing you can have to start your seeds growing. This will give better germination. 
I start most of my seeds this way, sowing in a seed tray covered with compost or vermiculite put on the heat mat until they start growing. Then prick out into individual pots and grow on till ready to plant outside. My father told me, never walk past a weed. Have you got any big plans for the plot this year? A new veg you fancy trying? Last year I grew a tromboncino and this year I'm thinking of growing a snake gourd. You can read much more from Dan by visiting his website thevillagegrapevine.co.uk Thank you for listening to the audio edition of the July 2021 issue of Kitchen Garden magazine. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can subscribe to Kitchen Garden Prime for just 4 99 per month. You'll be getting a whole lot for your plot, including an easy-read tablet and phone edition to read anywhere, anytime. Exclusive access to 10 years of digital back-issue archives, access to exclusive content from the online allotment, the Mudcuteers website, plus the monthly print magazine will be delivered free to your door each month. Head to classicmagazines.co.uk forward slash KG Prime to sign up today. 